0: Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Austin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count.
1: And I'm mischievous Mark Ginocchio, and I too own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but then the annuals don't count.
0: Well, welcome everybody to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this special review episode of the amazing spider talk
1: today on the show dan and i are going to be discussing amazing spider-man volume 5 number 56 legacy number 857 which was written by nick spencer with pencils by mark bagley inks by andrew hennessy and john dell colors by edgar delgado and rachel rosenberg and letters by vc joe caramanga did i say that right
0: I don't know. Yeah, anymore.
1: we're going back and forth on that <laughs> lately. And a cover by Mark Bagley, John Dell, and Edgar Delgado. This issue was first released in comic book stores on January 6, 2021. What's new?
0: it's a new year and we got some new comics to talk about so this is amazing spider-man 56 it is the fallout or at least it says it's the fallout to the last remains storyline or the or the post-mortem as it says on here and you know mortem makes me think of death so this is like breaking down this thing after it died and I think that's kind of how we felt about the end of this story.
1: Well, you know, it's funny. Usually usually there's fallout after something kind of ends definitively. And uh, I would say that Last Remains did not really end definitively in any sense of the word. But, hey, we're still talking about this storyline with Kindred and Norman Osborne and now Wilson Fisk. A lot of pieces to you know in this story. Don't know if they all fit together, but hey, let's talk. Let's talk comics, Dan. Let's let's just. Why don't we just? Why don't we just get right into it?
0: Well, sure. So one of the funny things I, I think about this issue is that it, you know it's this larger issue than standard. I think it's like about forty pages, and you know there's a lot of content in here. You know, your feelings on it might vary. What, what's interesting to me is the structure of this story, you know, it's very much a story told from Norman Osborn's point of view. He's the protagonist in in this particular issue. And we get like a flashback to the events from, well, not the previous issue, what transpired between the start of this issue and the end of the last issue, you know, with some other kind of flashbacks mixed in here and there that we'll talk about. And what immediately struck me was that In my mind, I imagine that this issue was intended to be, you know, Norman Osborn uh, dealing with Kindred back at Fisk's lair and that being the actual fallout. Because like most of the story is actually fallout to the events of Last Remains. If you take that like middle chapter of this issue, the kind of look back at how Last Remains and the events in Kindred's lair finished up. And so I wonder if you know that the, all of that content was intended to be included in the last remain storyline, but it didn't wasn't able to fit in or maybe an art schedule got shifted around, and suddenly it got shoved into this issue, and now we've got this pregnant issue that is supposed to be a fallout but also acts as kind of semi end of the chapter it, that's at least like the my interpretation of it from reading it
1: i mean that's that's probably an accurate interpretation, but you know, again, I, I guess my response to that would be even, even if these events that felt kind of, I don't want to say shoehorned in, but kind of, you know, like you said, uh, kind of packed into this issue, even if they were used more judiciously in the earlier lead up, you know, does it still make last remains a full arc in terms of, its narrative and the story it was trying to tell. No, because I still feel like there are just obvious questions about these characters that this storyline is just refusing to engage with. You know, like it's just it's just leading it up to the reader to make wild guesses and assumptions based on a line here or there. And, you know, I don't know, like at this point we've been doing this for 56 issues. I you know like it's it, it's a tiresome game. You can talk about how if this went here and that went there, you know, like it would maybe make this issue seem a little bit more like a like a bow on on the present. But, you know, what's the three sentence description of what Last Remains what happened in Last Remains? Kindred Kindred came to Earth or whatever and and Kindred confronted Spider-Man and while the Sin Eater was hunting Norman Osborn, I, I, I mean, like, what, I, like, what am I, what else am I supposed to take away from this story?
0: I guess that Kindred is Harry Osborn somehow, and he, and he, is inflicting pain to try to get, and th- that's what this issue seems to want to spell out is that he's inflicting pain to try to get Spider Man and Norman Osborn to realize the thing that they did. Inherently, it's hard to get invested when we don't know why Harry is acting so out of character, how he got the powers and, and, and position that he's in and what he cares about. And so you have this kind of like like black hole of, of, of a character and you're missing the other half of the drama other than just reacting to the way that a character is. And I think we've been hitting this really over the head. And Mark, you and I could complain, I think, again, about editorial here and how things are paced, but we would be doing that for every issue. And I think we made our point last week when we talked about the previous issue. But I do think many of the effects of, you know, our complaints are really felt in this issue, which is like trying to move on, trying to wrap up an arc. But the pacing never gave us anything conclusive, like you're saying to grab onto. So the, the fallout just feels kind of like limp or just like another bridge to the next part of this chapter. And it's going to be hard to rile us up and get us excited again when you already had like a false climax. Right. We were waiting for this climax and it kind of just trolled us a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a, a fair assessment. But I mean, you know, like you're right. We don't have to just keep hitting the same notes over and over again. I think We made our our opinions very resoundingly clear a week ago on this show. You know, like, okay, so let's look at some elements of 56 in, in just the context of the issue itself. I mean, frankly, Dan, I mean, you know, we were talking a little bit about this offline. in a vacuum, I found this issue to be far less enjoyable than the last one. Even with all the frustrations that we expressed on our last show, I, I think we both made it pretty clear that we liked. In in, in a vacuum, we liked that issue. I, I didn't enjoy this and found a lot of stuff in here to be problematic, uh, and not even just from the standard like, oh, this story is pace is paced poorly or they're trolling us kind of a thing. Like, let's start. Let's start with Fisk, if you if we can, um, just because. You know, I guess we can't say that his involvement in this story at this point is completely out of nowhere because I mean, you know, I mean he has had I mean one very notable interaction with Kindred where he's like on bended knee asking for something, and it's and it's clear that what he was asking for was not honored by Kindred. And you know, we can speculate what it is. It's probably the resurrection of Vanessa because what else is Fisk looking for? <laughs> it just seems right. to be, you know. I mean, that's inherent to his character. But then again, you know, we don't know for sure. Fisk has been also looking for, you know, in in recent in recent months, looking for the Lifeline tablet. I mean, so I, the the point being is that, like, the way Fisk is. Portrayed in this issue, at least from my interpretation, was you know he, he's got this like unhealthy obsession with kindred here, and it's like Norman is is kind of keeping Fisk at bay, almost and kind of you know as as much as Norman hates Harry, you get the sense that you know Norman is also trying to protect Harry from Fisk because he knows that once Fisk gets his you know gets his goons in on there, it's it's going to be you know no holds barred for Harry. To me, it just feels completely unearned because it's like I feel like there's really been no work anywhere else in La- and Last Remains up until the this the most recent issue to demonstrate Fist Fist's role in this at all. It's just it's just it, it it feels very tacked on. Like 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 I don't know. I mean, am I am I am I overreading this here, Dan? I mean, like I, I just feel like not that like it came completely out of nowhere, but it's like you know we're 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 telling you know this is a very emblematic uh, example of showing and uh, telling and not showing. You know, like it's just we're we're being told Fisk is pissed and he's coming after Harry and he wants Kindred. There was nothing that was shown to us as the reader for the better part of ten issues worth of comics.
0: I mean, really the last time that we saw Fisk involved in a Kindred-related thing was that free comic book day issue that kicked off Nick Spencer's run over two years ago. Like, that's the strongest connection that I can think of, you know, between these two characters. And maybe you could say, like, there's something going on with Fisk and Norman appointing him at Ravencroft, which we do touch on here a little bit, like, that, you know, Norman is clearly working for Kingpin, which is a role I I never expected to see Norman in playing second fiddle to someone, but I guess he does owe him for, you know, reinstating him in some, you know, place of power at, at Ravencroft instead of, you know, in in a, in a padded cell of his own, which is where he, where he was uh, after absolute carnage. I'm still really foggy on how one goes from being, thinking you're Cletus Cassidy to suddenly being, (laughs) In charge of of Ravencroft, but I'll, but I'll leave that alone. I think I think for me, I don't feel like fists out of character here more than is like as a story. We've been kind of going all over the place. Like we thought Kingpin's whole push was the Lifeline Tablet Saga, which may or may not be over. We're not really sure because it wasn't concluded in that story. You know, if, if you like a trend here, it's that these stories don't like to conclude satisfyingly or. Or clearly, you know, I, I, I could very easily suspect that the Lifeline tablet could be in some way related to whatever's going on with Kindred or Fisk's desire to resurrect Vanessa, which is our assumption. And I think we assumed that all the way back in that free comic book day issue. If I'm not correct, there was like a portrait of Vanessa that, you know, stro- strongly implied that. But that's asking for your audience to, like, even just read into that. We don't know Fisk's goal, which would be really helpful for us to get involved in the, st- involved in the stakes for, for Fisk, you know. Um, and, and you're going to hear this refrain, which is, we don't know what they want, so it's hard to get invested in the drama. It's being clever and interesting, so to speak, without telling a story clearly, we're suddenly asked to kind of like converge all of these stories with Kingpin. And it's not like he can't chew bubblegum and walk at the same time, but like, it's just like all over the place. If this was his goal to get Kindred, maybe we should have seen some of that leading up to this.
1: We should have seen some of that leading up to this, But like you said, I mean, like the, the other problem is we don't know what Kingpin wants. We don't know what he knows. Like he keeps indicating that he knows something about Kindred. Like, like there's just so much, so much subterfuge going on here you know it's one thing to kind of play a game of mystery here but this doesn't feel like mystery it just just feels like just missing missing narrative you know like 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 we're we we forgot to tell this story so now we're just trying to insert this these this thing in as if we told this story you know what i mean like it's 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 like a jedi mind trick except it's a really bad one because like i'm not falling for it at all it's like what do you what do you mean fisk is is all of a sudden like invested in this like where, where like you say what are the stakes we don't we don't know what he wants we don't know what he knows it's like it's 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 silly to pretend and then you know also kind of silliness is we get this revisit a uh, refrain to the dark force dimension which is from you know spencer's other magnum opus which is secret empire one of the one of the uh, the characters that's kind of involved in creating this whole scenario is the Spot, and it's like, where the hell did he come from? Like, where, where's where's the? I mean,
0: no no offense to the Spot, but what's going on here? <laughs> it reminds me of another way to die storyline, where suddenly, in order to create anti venom or or the, the antidote to venom, was to use the character Freak. From earlier in Brand New Day, and people were like, nobody cares about Freak. But I actually thought that was really cool because Freak was such a dumb villain that, like, using his power in, in a way where he just becomes, like, an object. He's not even a character anymore. I was like, okay, fine. But, like, we've not seen Spot the spot, you know, as part of this ongoing story with Spencer and yeah, he's part of Spider-Man's rogues gallery. So you could pull him out of anywhere, but this feels as random as like the Martin Lee curing thing that happened, you know, back during uh, sins rising. You know, I, I had a suspicion that it was the lizard who wanted to get cured and that ended up not being the case, but like in terms of telling a coherent, you know, story from one beat to the next, it makes far more sense to bring in the Lizard because that was a character who had been established as working as part of this ongoing story. You know, within, under Spencer's purview, he's not touched the spot. So, like, to pull him out here just feels like, well, I'm just using his power for the heck of it. The same way the Juggernaut showed up for three panels and then we never heard from him again. I guess we kind of see a panel of him here. But he wasn't a character. He was a power set. And it just feels lame and like a kind of a cheap answer to this. I guess you could say, right? It's from Spencer's other oeuvre, and he's connecting his like world in the way that like Bendis did. But it's just not satisfying, and to me, it's just an additional wrinkle to this story that I didn't need.
1: I, I'm trying to think back when the spot was fir- was first introduced or early on in his introduction. I think it was an issue of Spectacular Spider-Man. It might have even been Spectacular 100. And I think there was, is, Ki- yeah. I think Kingpin was involved in that story somehow. Was it like, wasn't it like a Kingpin Black Cat spot situation thing? Or I, I'm, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. So so maybe this is just, you know, another kind of habit of Spencer's, I feel over the course of this arc, which is just him just trying to like be overly cute and all of his like, deep cut references to spider history maybe i i I don't know but like you said it it doesn't it doesn't really work not that it not that it's bad but it just i don't know like it didn't you know it it just feels there if you're gonna do a spot story i'd rather see them do something like kind of like what we got during brand new day i think it was a fred van lente story that was kind of a fun one off with the spot you know what i mean like this this just kind of seemed kind of meh to me, uh, bringing him into well, he's this. Not,
0: the problem is he's not interested in doing a spot story. You know, like this isn't a story about that character at all. I mean, the visual of it is cool. The visual of it is cool. But like, yeah, he's just there. Like, was there a way to resolve this within the characters presented by this drama? You know, it's like if you had like a, a, a scene from Marriage Story where the two characters are like discussing how to raise a kid And then in the last five minutes, a guy with a gun shows up and kills one of them that we've never met before. You'd be like, what story is this? Who is this guy? Like, uh, you know, it just doesn't really work. So anyway, again, not egregious, but like in terms of efficient storytelling, you know, why didn't we set this up sooner? Kind
1: of going from there, let's talk a little bit about Norman here because you know, this was you know, we 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 got a swerve with Norman, and this is I mean, this was pretty well executed, although I will admit, on first read, I I, it didn't fully land for me, and it wasn't until a conversation with you after the fact and then rereading it, I that it fully sank in. One of the one of our complaints last week when we were talking about 55 was kind of Norman seemingly cured of being cured by the Sin Eater and 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 storming into Kindred's lair pumpkin bombs of a- ablazing back in touch with his green goblin side uh, even though he was supposedly you know that was expunged from him but it turned out that that was that was all pretend uh, that he did that to kind of get closer to Harry so I mean you know that I guess you know kind of a double swerve if you will I mean so that was pretty pretty clever you know it, it, I, and I guess it works. Although the other half of it, I wasn't, you know, involving MJ, I wasn't too thrilled about, but we can talk about that in a second. But what what, what was your take on kind of Norman and his characterization here?
0: I mean, it got me. You, you know what I mean? Like, like I, I didn't see that coming. And, you know, I, I was pleased by it because it was clever of Norman. I think his, like, motivation is still a little fishy for me. Like, if he is worried about, you know, saving Harry, which seems to be his goal here, right? He's trying to heal his family because he himself was healed and he thanks Harry for that. You know, he feels like that he's had this, you know, this thing that's been tormenting him rem- taken off his back. He's almost wants to pay the, the you know, the manor forward, but also heal his family, which which I totally buy, you know? Like, you know, as twisted as the Green Goblin was, there was this strong family element Uh, the whole time through, whether that be like legacy or how Harry's not living up to his legacy. But he was always looking for some kind of strong family connection in his own twisted way. And to see the character not influenced by the goblin formula seems to have cured whatever mental illness might have been there prior to the goblin formula. I, I, I buy that the character's motivation. I don't understand why he needed... He says he wants to, like, save Harry from wreaking vengeance and causing more destruction and harm. It seems weirdly premeditative of him, although this is the same guy that randomly showed up on the bridge that MJ was on. I, I, I really like the characterization of this new Norman, and I like that, you know, Spencer is doing things with that premise. What I find most frustrating about it is, is that it is the exact same arc that we got for Harry, During, you know, Dan Slott's run, which is the like, let's absolve the Osborne name. Let's heal and be a family again. It just kind of rings hollow on a second time around, especially because we have no idea why Harry Osborne is acting this way. So like you want to root for Norman, but at the same time, you have a hard time buying into the stakes of it because you like... I just don't think Harry is acting in character.
1: What good is healing the family if this isn't truly Harry like Harry Le- like the va- the last version of Harry we saw before Nick Spencer took over, you know what I mean? Like cuz it's hard to view that character through the same lens right now, and 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 rightly so because we've also gotten no explanation as to why he's acting this way. I mean, until we until we get an explanation, you, the assumption has to be like there's something not right here. You know, like you this you, you just can't even in comic book world you don't generally flip that quickly and also gain demonic superpowers. You know, like there's 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 a story there we just haven't been told it yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like we saw. Harry Osborn in issue 800, you know, fine and 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 not demonically possessed, and you know, re, re, regaining the Osborn name to like start a new legacy, which is what Norman is describing here. And then in issue 802, he's now kindred, you know. So like, there's some other explanation there. It's the same kind of critique that I make of like the Force Awakens. I'm going to go down this road. It's really hard to to for us to invest in defeating the first order if we spent a whole trilogy watching these characters beat the Empire and celebrate at the end, only for the Empire seemingly to be restored with even more power than before off screen. You, you know what I mean? So it's like, we just got done healing Harry. Like like why should we invest in re-healing him when he got unhealed off-screen? You, you, you know what i mean
1: but this time they got multiple ships that can destroy planet sand so just think about that <laughs> the the thing with norman and his kind of machinations here leads to mj here and you know i i'm i'm gonna sound weird here because i'm gonna i'm gonna Kind of complain about something that I'm not even 100 percent sure to myself when I'm complaining about. But like, so, OK, um,
0: just <laughs> just, one.
1: So just bear me out of here. Fifty five when the pumpkin bomb goes off and MJ, you know, looks like she's at the center of the blast. Like like, you know, let's we can we can roll back the tape to last week. I don't No one. I at least I didn't buy that she was dead or even near dead. You know what I mean? Like, I just was like, well, you know, they gave us a little scare. But like, I mean, she's even saying, oh, it's going to take more than that to get me, Tiger. You know what I mean? Like, it's it seemed pretty clear, like, that it was not a fatal blow, even if it looked like a serious blow. But like, I guess the, I guess that's the thing. It's like we went from. OK, is she dead? No, she's not dead, but she could be really badly hurt. And that's going to elevate the tension here to what what turned out to be the case here, which was like the whole thing was part of the ruse. Like MJ was, you know, this was something that MJ and, and Norman orchestrated in, you know, the, the, their their limo ride where MJ was going to be the diversion and that, that Norman was going to be throwing these flash grenades that had no physical impacts on mj here and like again we get very little peter in this issue so this is like some of the few scenes that we get with him and it's like basically mj being like yeah i'm cool but just play along tiger and it's just i don't know to me like it just it really just eliminated any of the stakes or the risk here it's i don't know like like I guess I guess there's still technically a risk that MJ could have been harmed by Kindred if things went awry. I don't know. But like I, 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 it just felt too, too much of a swerve to to make, you know, I don't, like Boy boy Who Cries Wolf, maybe. I don't know. Like, am I am I making any sense, Dan? I mean, did this kind of annoy you the way it seems to be annoying me or am I just overreacting to this?
0: I don't know that it annoyed me to that level, but another thing about it annoyed me, which was like, we are experiencing this scene through a flashback, not in the moment, you know, and we cut from like before this moment to like after this scene has already been completed. And for someone that's like hanging on that cliffhanger from the previous issue to then get to this issue and have be like, that was already resolved. Here's what happened really removes the kind of in the moment urgency And then you've got this kind of reveal that it was all a fake-out anyway. And my real problem is that, like, there's no consequences to this previous story. You know, like, Kindred has, he seems, it's like Thanos until Infinity War. Like, why were we supposed to be afraid of Thanos? He's had no victories, right? Like, what has Kindred done tangibly to, like, suggest that he's an actual threat I mean, yes, he killed Spider-Man and resurrected him a bunch of times, but these books really operate on, you know, sometimes your hero getting killed, like, say, Superior Spider-Man, and sometimes, you know, there being harm or or real threat being brought to our supporting cast. When Kindred is just kind of like quickly ushered off the stage and, and this big climax what was really seemingly advertised as the climax of this story. And the stakes were raised really high. Everybody's there. There's dead bodies everywhere. Kindred is killing Peter. The city is being destroyed. MJ's walking in here. We're like, something is bound to happen. And then just, just kind of have it be like ended on like a ruse and everybody kind of whisked off or captured. You had one shot at getting me really riled up and, I, you know the the MJ thing seemed like a consequence in some way, you know, especially com- with the themes that I've been building in this book about Spider Man's anxiety, about how it worries, how he worries about the loved ones in his life and his trouble with kind of letting them go, and MJ's kind of awakening into you know becoming a self sufficient character who has kind of let her worry for Peter go as well. I just think there was a real opportunity to like do something here, but. I did really like the scene that follow the sequence that follows this moment where Peter is like, I have to go save all these other people. And MJ is like, fine. I'm not like like she doesn't and she kisses him and she's like, it was just good to see you. And to me, that was an evolu- evolution for the character, at least based on how she's been written since the One More Day era and, 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 and brand new day with that kind of mischaracterized her as this kind of like worrywart nag. Of of Spider Man's, whereas like here, her journey seems to be somewhat complete. That in the moment she can allow that Peter could get hurt, but she's just there to you know champion him. And I thought it was a nice little moment.
1: It, it still was kind of wasted in the fact that we really never saw much from Peter after. You know what I mean? Like it, this comic just had no presence of 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 peter anywhere you know like and i think that's disappointing i mean like there there you know there are issues where sometimes we focus on some of the other characters but you know kind of like you know the it's not the bestell test it's the spider-man bestell test maybe it's like you still it, i i always kind of feel like in those books you you need to kind of like if there are characters that are doing things And independently and spider-man isn't there we still need to be knowing why are they doing this because of spider-man and i feel like this 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 was like this was the amazing osborne family issue you know what i mean like it really felt like at the end of the day this was about norman and harry and kind of peter like i know that kindred kept invoking peter but like it just it just felt very tacked on and 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 loose to that so like yeah, it, it, I get, like, that moment with Peter and MJ was very nice, but, like, I, I I would have, again, have liked to see within this issue more of a of a, culmination of that, you know? Like, like I wanted a Spider-Man moment to come from that moment, and we didn't get it. it Maybe we'll get it next issue. I don't know. But, like, it just felt it felt kind of hollow after the fact. I don't know.
0: I, I also just didn't understand... MJ's role in that sequence? Like, sending her in as an actress to get, like, fake blown up by something, what does that gain? Like, I guess it could enrage Kindred in some way. What did it gain for Norman's plan? At the end of the day, I didn't understand what the plan ultimately was. Like, just to go in and get Kindred angry, and then zap him up with the spot? Like, why couldn't they have done that remotely? I I don't know. Maybe I missed something, but It just kind of seemed like uh, I didn't understand the stakes of that individual scene.
1: Just to kind of push forward here, we did did get some check-ins on some other seemingly forgotten characters from earlier in this arc, including Overdrive and Carly Cooper, who are now an item, Dan. Do you ship Carly and Overdrive?
0: (laughs) I mean, sure. I mean, to me, this is another one of those, like, Nick Spencer doing service to his own characters kind of thing. Although he didn't create Overdrive, he kind of heavily featured him like do I care about overdrive no not really do I care about Carly Cooper no not really although I I, I like her more than most people you know d- d- is this an interesting storyline not not really although it's kind of nice to see Overdrive's kind of arc come full circle that like he always wanted to be a hero and ended up going down the path to villainy but at the same time, like, I don't really buy that Carly Cooper would, would, would date this guy. Like, I get that he makes this nice speech to her. But if you remember, like, Carly Cooper, like, held her father, this detective, in, like, very high esteem. She looked up to her father until she found out that he was, like, crooked, just like everybody else. And she just really had a lot of, like, distrust in people, which also fed into her leaving Peter, was that, like, you know... He was just like her father was living a second life, you know, behind her back. I don't know that she would give a supervillain that chance. I mean, we'll see where it goes. I'm not offended by it in any way. Uh, Nor am I like, I got to read a miniseries about Carly and Overdrive dating.
1: Coming in 2022. Speaking of of characters dating superior foes, we we check in on Aunt May and Randy Robertson at at the new Feast uh, headquarters. Uh, Randy keeps kind of alluding to, well, he's trying to project, project it as almost like an ex-girlfriend, the Beetle. We have not seen the breakup yet, have we?
0: No, and, and she keeps sending packages and things with like cute personalized notes to Aunt May. So, you know, it seems like at least if it, they're not dating, the Beatle has some unrequited love or guilt associated with their relationship in some way.
1: Who comes at the doorstep of Feast, as you alluded to earlier, In this episode, we we got the the return of the cured Martin Lee.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is somewhat interesting. I mean, I I don't think that this fit in naturally to the storyline, more than I think maybe Nick Spencer saw an opportunity to do something with this character and was like, well, let's just put it in here and maybe I can do a story with Mr. Negative later. You know, I I think Mr. Negative has kind of been a broken character for a while. I think his initial characterization was really interesting, this... Idea of this guy that had no idea that there was this other side to him and each one operated independent of each other. But then he just became like any other supervillain that could just like choose to switch between the two or basically just eschewed the Martin Lee personality altogether. But maybe there's something interesting going on here because Martin says, Help me, he's going to find me. Which in my mind, I wonder if maybe the Mr. Negative personality has become separated from him in some way, um, has become its own kind of personification, uh, this like sinful version of him, or if he's worried about it taking over his body, like maybe there's an opportunity for Martin Lee to do something interesting again.
1: Both this and the overdrive and Carly stuff. I mean, this is this is the part of the issue that kind of feels like a like a uh, what do you call it like a fallout issue you know because like right, I feel a like
0: fallout yeah.
1: yeah like like we're like you know we're setting up the next batch of stories with these little these little scenes so like Yeah, they're kind of random and, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, I haven't really thought about Aunt May or Brandy or any of these guys in a while. But it's like, hypothetically, I mean, you know, we could be totally wrong as we embark on the next six months of random stories that have nothing to do with any of this. But it seems to me that this is, you know nick spencer setting up the next few arcs of, of things to come here um so we'll probably get some some more about martin lee here for sure to so kind of go back to the bow here we 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 do end with with more norman peter and kindred you know i do want to note that for this entire issue you know kindred is basically just kind of like standing in a in a in a theoretical prison, not saying much of anything. And it's kind of like, you know, if there's anything more emblematic of what this character has been for the better part of two years, I think that's it. Right. I mean, it's just like, you know, (laughs) just kind of talking cryptically from time to time. I mean, again, we, we keep talking about he, 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 now the focus is pain, right. That he wants to cause pain based on the pain that these characters have caused him and others, right?
0: Yeah. So, like, he expresses his final words from the Last remain storyline before his self-imposed silence in the giant ice cube, black ice cube, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, and he says that he, yeah, he wanted to inflict pain on Peter and Norman in a way that Harry felt pain, And he said he needed to show Peter that his sanctimony and hubris was the cause of all of his friends suffering and that the Goblin Green Goblin would never allow Norman to feel pain. So he needed to remove the Goblin from Norman in order to allow him to feel that pain and that because they don't remember what they did still, even after all of that pain inflicted only together can they figure out what it is that they need to repent for which then I think cues Spider-Man to bust in on Norman. He's come to talk to him. And I suspect it's about like, we got to get to the bottom of this. Like, what what is it? To, what do we share that we, we've be, be, been awakened to about ourselves through this experience? You know, because I would say that both of them had, you know, if there's one takeaway from Last Remains, both of them did, like what Kindred said here is true. Like he was able to point at Peter that like, Look, you were at fault in letting my father you know, run rampant, even though know, you were relying on his amnesia. And for Norman, you will—you are finally facing what you did as the Green Goblin. So then what's the intersection there? And I'm sure we could come up with a million things. I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm curious what you think about this. Do you think that there's going to be some like reason for Kindred, this thing that's revealed is something that we could go back and read between the lines about? Or do you think it's some retcon situation? Because that these characters don't remember it suggests to me that like, maybe we as an audience haven't experienced it yet or, or haven't really been shown this thing, this impact yet in a way that we can kind of tangibly latch onto.
1: So what you're asking is, do you, I mean, do you feel that this is something that we've seen versus something that, we're just going to create for the purposes of this story, this 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 thing that they don't remember? Is that what you're asking?
0: Yeah, I mean, that could be because of, like, One More Day or something like that. But, like, th- there is something. He's asking them to remember it. And, you know, the question is, is he asking us as the audience to remember it, too? You know, you and I have a really significant knowledge of Spider-Man history, and I'm sure we could come up with, a, like, a dozen things that it could be that these two have, you know, done against each other that have impacted Harry specifically. But this seems to be like something really big and that it doesn't jump out immediately suggests to me that like, it's not just a simple reframing of a situation like the previous issue was where it's like, hey, your neglect with Norman caused X and X and X. Like, I wonder if this is like some butterfly effect thing that we really haven't seen and result of and will be revealed to us. I, I, I don't know if you have a feeling about it. It's hard for
1: me to pin down. I mean, like, you know, I think part of my prediction with Kindred has always been that he he came into existence in this forum based on the fact that Peter and MJ got back together. Like you said, maybe this is some kind of like off panel thing that happened and you know that's i guess that's i guess that's part of you know again where my frustration for this entire arc has come from is that i really thought that this would be explained by now um not that we would still be speculating to a degree the way we are about it i guess my short answer is yeah i don't think this is something that we have seen clearly like we did in terms of peter you you let Norman off the hook and that's why he came back to, to haunt us all as the goblin. I still think it's, it's, it's connected to something that we saw happen. It's just like, he's, but we just don't know like the full extent of the ramifications of the thing we saw happen. You know, does that make sense?
0: Uh, that's where I kind of, um, I'm siding. Can I, can I ask you a question? Like we're about to do this Roger Stern season on our show and we're going to do a bunch of episodes on the hobgoblin mystery, you know? And you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Hobgoblin mystery kind of played out initially over the span of th- of three or four years in the comic book, across the Stern and uh, JRJR and and Defalco friends runs, and that you know, and and then into sub books like Spider Man, Wolverine. The clues given in those books were completely insubstantial, like you know, especially w- given the resolutions. And yet, there was something that, like, when reading those books, and we didn't read them in real time, you and I, right? We we read them much after the fact, so it's not like we were pacing it out quite like this. And those were like a you know an issue a month you know, back in that day. You know, do we do we think that we would have the same reaction to that mystery that we're having to this one, given the just the length of time?
1: I think that's part of the reason why. Frankly, the story was resolved the way it was with the Hobgoblin because, I mean, you know, in our interviews and stuff, I mean, it kind of revealed the fact that, like, you know, it just got to a point where people were like, enough's enough. Let's just throw anything out there. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, enough with the games. And then, of course, when you go back, it's like, you know, in terms of who DeFalco and Friends wanted versus who Roger Stern wanted who versus who Christopher Priest wanted or whatever, like, I don't know if, if any of these people ever really executed on, on setting those characters up, <laughs> you know? So, so, I mean, yeah, I think we, we probably would be pissed off by it. And, and, you know, like I, I think that's part of the reason why, frankly, why I obsessed over it and still obsess over it. It's because it's just like you, you, you had such a captive audience and you really kind of blew it. You know, <laughs> like I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I, I do feel like this is you know, it's it's probably the greatest analogy you can make in terms of both pacing and, and frustration from that pacing.
0: I think about like uh the, the issue with Hobgoblin's battle van, the Amazing Spider-Man two thirty-nine, where like the cover is Spider-Man unmasking the character on the cover and Ultimately, yes, that happened in the book. He got the floating mask, you know, out of the water, and we never saw the guy's face. Like, and I think about like, would I have been really furious, you know, if, if I read that book? And I don't really know because, like, I think that mystery we understood the stakes and we understood what the characters wanted. We were never like it was never a mystery what the Hobgoblin wanted. We got to see full scenes of him. You know, dealing with the underworld and 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 getting what he wanted. And we had a rogues gallery of people that it could be. The question was, which one of them was it going to be? And I guess it dangled it out there for a very long time and would reveal people and then unreveal them. But that was the nature of the game. I think what struggle, struggles with me in this one is we don't know why or how or what Kindred wants. And so then it's it's hard for us to get invested in the drama that is so far consequence free and i think that's my ultimate disappointment with this issue even though i think the characterizations are really spot on you know for the characters that are acting in character is that i i don't know like what, what people want and what the consequences of those wants are that's why it remains stressful and You know, with Spider-Man confronting Norman at the end here, I'm kind of hopeful that like maybe, and again, as I remain you know, eternally hopeful every time we end one of these discussions is, well, maybe next issue is the one where they can like figure something out with each other. And I'm going to keep saying that so long as we're focused on the story, but I don't know how we go and tell a story about Martin Lee or Carly Cooper dating Overdrive while this kindred thing is just hanging out there now. You know, you already did the climax to this story in Last Remains. I'm not wanting to see those other stories resolve this thing first.
1: Just before we do great, stand. we really didn't touch on the art in this one. It's the return to Mark Bagley. It's probably not a fair assessment in terms of, I mean, Bagley does a fine job here. I just feel like the issue itself is fairly uninteresting in terms of a lot of the story. And like, I, I just don't feel like Bagley had... A ton to work with, and there was like really, I mean, you know, like again, like this is no disrespect to Bagley; I think he's fantastic. But like, you know, some of the Gleason stuff we've been getting in his issues has just been like otherworldly and just totally a revelation from a Spider-Man comic. So when you kind of go from this to you know Gleason to Bagley, even though it's it's more about the story and giving Gleason something to work with, I don't know. Like, I guess that's my 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 very elaborate way of saying. Bagley's fine, but there was nothing in this issue from a visual standpoint that made me go, "Oh wow, it's great!" It's it's great just having Bagley here, you know. Like it just felt very there to me.
0: It doesn't have the kind of really strong visual pacing and of the first issue of the sins rising storyline that we uh, commented on. I do like it more than his work on issue fifty three. I think the. The inks from Andrew Hennessy and John Dell were a lot cleaner in this issue. And so, like, it was easier to follow the story and the artwork was just just more handsome. But you're right. He doesn't really he's not really given much to do in terms of, like, visual moments. I guess there is one page I wanted to highlight, though, and it's the one where Norman orders everybody out of the room. We had some great kind of like close ups on Norman's face when he's talking to King and sneering and looking evil. And then the page where he kind of throws off the, the act of pretending to be the Green Goblin and kind of restores his kind of sane persona in this kind of silent page, I think is what Mark Bagley does kind of best, which is kind of like uh, emotive character work that was really famous from Ultimate Spider-Man. And then there's a kind of like really neat kind of like split face page at the end where you've got uh, Norman kind of talking about how he sees himself in Harry. And you can see his kind of like twisted goblin persona mirrored up with, you know, Kindred and and Harry. And I thought that was a nice touch too. Um, But you're right. Like, largely the issue is a bunch of people in a room standing around. You know, yeah. not doing much in like so.
1: in like imaginary cells and stuff or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and
0: it doesn't like, the, the design of like Harry in that kind of like dark force bubble or whatever is just kind of goofy. Uh, you yeah, know, I think there probably was something a little more inventive you could do with that.
1: What's your grade, Dan?
0: Yeah, I'm going to give this one a C plus.
1: OK, and I, I'm, I'm going to go C minus on this one.
0: OK. Sounds good to me. <laughs>
1: well, well, I should hope so. I mean, it's my opinion, man.
0: <laughs> you have to adhere to my idea of your opinion, Mark.
1: We 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 it's it's a rare instance where we're not totally in lockstep, although I don't feel like we're like, you know, totally crazy divergent here, so.
0: I just really enjoyed the the Norman character work, and I appreciate it when someone can fool me a little bit, you know, like and and, and and I'll go back and be like I I, I was overreacting last time because there was a clever swerve and not bad cheap story writing like I, I should have figured it, that out and so for that I go okay I'll I'll see you being a little clever
1: <laughs> okay well let, let's 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 go on home Dan because alas it is that time time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners, and those of you who are viewers for tuning into this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk.
0: Yeah, this episode was originally edited by Rick Coast with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Busema, and Ray Sumzer. And our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. This episode was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. So, if you'd like to help us support our show's continued existence and these very reviews that you're listening to while joining us on the live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up? So, Mark, until you and I work together to remember what sin we committed in the past that has us so tormented by this unending reveal of Kindred's motivations... What is our motto?
1: Wow, this is pretty deep, Dan. Uh, <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course Dan, it is. With Great Podcasts, there must also come the amazing Spider Talk. Don't,
0: don't miss the next